Hello and welcome to Cartoon Cosmonauts, a podcast all about animated short films and their creators. Each episode will feature a new guest giving us the lowdown on their approach to making animation. I'm your host, Joseph Orr, and a quick reminder that this podcast is available on all major podcasting platforms, as well as on YouTube as a video interview. So on this episode, I'm pleased to welcome special guest Orly Beatley. Orly is an illustrator and an animator who developed her own hybrid way of combining physical artwork into an animated world. As always on this podcast, I like to focus on one particular film as we discuss the animation process. Today we're going to chat to Orly about the six-part animated series she made for the Smithsonian Channel, The Secret World of Animal Sleep. Now, if you haven't already seen them, the first three episodes are available on the Smithsonian Channel's YouTube page, which I will link to below. I'd recommend you watch them and then follow along as we discuss them. But for now, let's jump right in and start the show. So, um, Orly, thank you so much for coming on the show. And uh, yeah, thanks. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Joseph. It's nice talking to you. And where where in the world are you uh, are you broadcasting from? Uh, well, I'm broadcasting from the, the very lovely province of Auvergne uh, in the middle of France, uh, which is where my, my grandparents are from. Um, my grandfather passed away um, before COVID, like a year and a half ago, but um, my grandmother, who's 90, and my great aunt, who's 95, <laughs> is still here giving everyone a merry hell. So wow. I come over on a regular basis and like help take care of them. But otherwise, I live in Scotland. Okay, brilliant. Wow. So it's nice to have that uh, that kind of go between two very, very different landscapes, I imagine, weather-wise no, as well. You would be very surprised, actually. This is like Scotland of France, uh, the same sort of people. We even have some bagpipes. We eat something that is very close to haggis and we have very similar mountains. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah, I think when, you know, when you hear France, uh, you have a picture in your head. So mm-hmm. maybe not the idyllic, you know, hot weather uh, uh, that I was picturing, but okay, brilliant, brilliant. And can I ask, I suppose, to start off just with kind of a little bit of backstory, how, how did you get into animation? Um, I have, I got, this is like, this is one of those questions that I've answered so many times that like now it sounds like a pat answer, but like, I mean it every time. Um, so I got into animation when I was four years old and my dad brought back the Little Mermaid on VHS from the US. Um, so I grew up in, um, in Europe for the most part and we were in Paris at the time. Uh, but we had an American v, uh, VCR. And so my dad would go back and he would like bring cassette tapes back with him. So it was always sort of like a big event, you know, cause we would get like a new movie and we couldn't we couldn't play European um, VHSs. Like, we had to wait until we would go to the States. So it was very exciting. And he brought back the Little Mermaid um, on VHS and I watched it 300 million times <laughs> really, like, every day. Three I'd, say, I'd say you can quote it now down to a T. Probably. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I can't quote The Little Mermaid anymore. I can still sing all of the songs from Fievel Goes West. Um, oh, like, wow. All of them. But so, um, so The Little Mermaid showed up in our house. And instead of coming to the conclusion that I wanted to be a mermaid, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to make The Little Mermaid. And okay. I told my parents that I was going to be an animator and actually kind of like shoehorned myself into this place where like forever after my family was like, you're going to be an animator. So then <laughs> when I went to it. college, I was like, I guess I have to be. An <laughs> I can't go back on what I've said now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so that, that's really what it was. I mean, I think like it was, it was the magic. Um, and then, and then honestly, I was, I was lucky because um, so we were in France at the time we were in Paris, but I spent most of my childhood in Belgium. And if you know anything, 
about Belgium, you know that they have an amazing comics industry, like probably one of the, the most yeah. in the world. And I remember reading a fact with Belgium that there was like the most comic book artists per capita, like in the world. And uh, there's this concept also in French where um, comic books are called the, the ninth art. So we have like a, a number for, for each art, you know, for, for painting and sculpture and, you know, uh, the art of the stage and all of that stuff. And, um, and comic books are the ninth. Cool, I never knew that. Uh, so yeah, so you know, and you can you can say like le neuvième art, the ninth arts, talk about them, and um, so it's it's wow. kind of like elevated to the state of like you know, um, it's not it's not necessarily just pulp the way that Americans tend to look at it. Like, this is a real art form. It's on par with like you know Shakespeare or auteur films if you want it to be. And so it's I that think level. That, okay. right, exactly. And I think that like growing up in that environment where there were like really beautiful children's animations like on on the TV, just accessible all the time, um, and this like incredibly rich um, comic book culture that was also like you know really researched and beautiful. Um, I think that all of that sort of came together to be like you know to, to reassure me that like this was a real path that I could take. Like this was a real yeah. job people do this for a living i can do this i can make this right. happen yeah like a, a real like interesting form of expression um and i think that like um all of that together really kind of led to my choice to, to do it professionally kind of all culminated wow I, I love that that the the idea that you could refer to comics as the ninth art i think that's a that's a that's a cool phrase i mean i can it see is, a film really or cool. some sort of it feels, it feels really password legit, it? yeah it feels much more than like oh what what do you do? i collect comics i collect the ninth art you're like, oh, wow. Yeah, it has an edge to it. And would you would you say it's, it's very interesting hearing about that kind of with the, the, the strong illustration background and the, I suppose interest and all that kind of inspiration. Would you say there was one um, particular illustrator or animator that that kind of influenced you the most, like a certain style? Yeah, um, absolutely, actually. So um... I watched a lot of animation growing up, so I already, you know, knew that I loved it, and I, I knew that it could be like, you know, a vector for some very important, interesting things. Um, the person who had the most effect on me because she overlapped with a lot of my illustration pursuits uh, was Lotte Reiniger, um, who is, you know, as as you know, um, a, a stop motion animator as well. So like. Um, I think, you know, so I was in this environment where I saw a lot of really beautiful stop motion animation, like the, the culture barrier was more porous in Belgium than it was in the States. So we had a lot of like Russian animation, obviously the Russians are masters, you know, so yeah. like I grew up with like Chiburashka and like all of these, all these really beautiful, like the Jack Frost animations. Wow. So you were getting like, a load of different kind of uh, influences yeah. from every side. So, wow. So for me, it was already like, you know, obviously, obviously stop motion is like, you know, it's just as good. Like it's not just like a, a kid's medium or, you know, sort of throwaway, like it's, it's a, it's a very important art medium in and of itself. But then um, coming in contact with uh, Lotte Reiniger and uh, the fact that like, you know, she um, she was extremely self-directed. She was very different from a lot of the other animators from that time period. The work she did was just like beautiful and lyrical. And like, she seemed to reinvent the wheel whenever she made an animation, like working with sand and like, you know, doing all of these cool transformations um, and working in a fairy tale format, like all of that really spoke to me. And um, that was, she was one of like my, my major um, original influences. Okay, that's interesting. And so, did you, did you study animation? Um, yeah. Like off the back of that? Yeah, yeah, I did. So um, not off the back of that, like it was, like I said, it was kind of, you know, like the self-fulfilling prophecy from the point where I was four. 
uh, by the time I went to college, I was like, I actually don't want to do animation. I want to be a historian. And <laughs> my family built, was like, no. Built this up too much in my mind. Yeah, it's like, we, <laughs> we put all our eggs behind you here. You, you, you had a plan here. Yeah. So um, I studied animation um, at the School of the Art Institute of Chicago, which is um, the museum through which, um, what's his name? Ferris Bueller runs uh, in the movie. <laughs> Oh, wow. Oh, that was brilliant. Nice school. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so what a, what a cool. talking point to have. Yeah. You see that part in the movie? Yeah. I've been there. Yeah. yeah. I mean, people aren't necessarily familiar with like the, the museum, the Art Institute of Chicago, though it is one of the, the great art museums of the United States. But um, but they are familiar with the movie, typically. So it can be a reference point. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, how you draw them in. And did you, was the, was your course like pure animation or was it kind of bits of illustration or? No, so um, we had the distinction of not really having courses, which was like on one side really great for the people who were very self-directed and knew what they wanted to do. And luckily I was part of that category, but not super great for the ones who didn't necessarily because like there was almost no structure. So we were left to like put together a curriculum basically. Um, so That's I crazy. feel mine, yeah, it is nuts. Um, SAIC is also like, um, it's, it's one of the, it's one of the oldest and most prestigious art schools in the States. And I think that they don't think they have to do that work for you. Um, I think okay. that if you go to other schools that are just as good, um, like CalArts or like SCAD, for example, um, they do have curricula and they, they make sure that, you know, you actually come out with a set of skills. Which, uh, yeah. Whereas like okay. SAIC was just kind of like, whatever. Um, yeah. so, whatever so we were want. sort of left to our own devices and it was actually very frustrating because there was no illustration curriculum and that's what I was interested in to begin with. Okay. I took the animation courses because I knew I had an interest in animation, but also because, you know, really what I am fundamentally is like, you know, a prolific draftsman. And I wanted to be in a place where I could draw a lot, you know, and then make it move because that's exciting. Yeah, because <laughs> uh, you can do what that. It was well. drawing. And I found myself taking the same scientific illustration class with everyone who was interested in illustration, like six times in a row. You were only able to take a class for credit three times, okay? And credits okay. in the US cost a huge amount of money. Like even when I was over there, which was 15 years ago, it cost like 800, 900 bucks for a credit course, okay? Brief. So here I was taking this class for no actual credit towards my diploma, but simply because I was just desperate to be in a class that would teach me the basics of illustration because I knew that that's what I cared about. <laughs> Wow, and it was specifically scientific illustration, wasn't right, it? Right, it was wasn't... really the only one that existed. So, like, you would wow. get there, and we had this amazing um, professor. She was uh, the the artist the artist in residence of the Field Museum, which is another big museum in in uh, Chicago. And uh, you would sit there and she would kind of like, the first semester she made you actually do the thing, you know, and like learn the techniques. And then afterwards she was just kind of like, draw whatever you want and I'll help you. Yeah, okay. um, so, <laughs> oh, that's a, I mean, that's a great, great approach. It I mean, was very incredible. encouraging, I'd say, if you have ideas and that's what you're there for. Yeah, definitely. So that was my life when I was over there. So I, I cobbled together as many animation classes as I could. I took um, all of the hand-drawn animation courses that were available. Um, so that was my major focus. And then um, I took a bunch of illustration courses. Well, I took scientific illustration. Like yeah, <laughs> I love the um, specificity of that. You know what I mean? Scientific yeah, illustration. yeah, yeah, yeah. So many it's times. quite a niche. And, and then I became the editor in chief of the newspaper and I complained for a solid semester. And then a year after we left, they had an illustration curriculum. So. Oh. And when you, uh, when you first started out, so with, with animation, because obviously you have a very you know specific and, and unique style but when you started out what kind of materials were you using like was it kind of stop motion based from the beginning or was it more kind of hand-drawn 
the stop motion came at the very end for me, actually. Um, everything that we did, I, I took a traditional hand-drawn animation course. So it was, you know, it was printer paper with pegs, you know, and like different yes. color crayons and like, you know, perfecting the hand motion. Yeah. Oh, God. I remember uh, doing some classes where, uh, you know, the, the whole day was spent drawing circles. Mm -hmm. Affect your ability to draw circles, and you're kind of like, wait, what? Is this is this really what we're doing? Like, you yes. know what? Actually, there were like tribes that that like formed between like the kids who had like you know this innate sense of motion, but didn't necessarily know how to draw, and then the ones of us who knew how to draw, but like didn't have an innate sense yeah. of motion. So yeah, no, it was it was an interesting course, and uh, there too, I mean, like I, I kind of um, I decided I really liked one of the professors, who's an adjunct. Um, I just liked his style and just took his class over and over and over again. Okay, brilliant. Just to try and kind of perfect, and it's it's interesting that you started out in you know traditional hand-drawn animation and what what brought about the kind of I suppose transition into stop motion how did that how did that come about well towards the end of the time uh that I spent at SAIC my my last two semesters so I guess you'd call it senior year um we also had Lisa, I can't remember her last name, but she was, she was fantastic. She was, you know, a fantastic like stop motion professor, but I, I'd never taken her classes because obviously like the, um, the, the pass fail requirement for animation was quite onerous. So like for, for the, uh, for the hand-drawn classes by the end there, you had to like churn out like, you know, two minutes of like refined animation um, at really? the end of the semester. Um, and was, that, was, was that group-based or individually? No, no, on your own. Um, on your own. Yeah, so we just never slept. I mean, we slept in shifts. We would be on the 11th floor of the building, this tiny classroom, slowly going crazy while someone played like Cowboy Bebop on a screen. And uh, what would happen is we'd like animate all day long and then we'd go and like sleep for two hours in like the common room that was down the hallway. And then like you'd get tapped out by another animator so that like you, you never lost time, and someone was always like, you know, like. Oh, someone was always kind of turning like, away. To work, you know. I'm gonna. I'm gonna wow. This. So it was. Um, I mean, that's that that's dedicated. <laughs> yeah, gosh. That was really nice. I got really close to a lot of those people, and now sometimes I'll work with them also professionally, which is cool. Oh, um, But so towards the end of that time, because um, I just didn't have time to do any other forms of animation if I was going to get the uh, the requirement done by the end of the semester. Okay. And um, towards the end of my time there, um, I, I noticed this puppet class and I thought, you know, that would that could potentially be cool. Um, maybe I should learn something new. And I fell in love with like the ease and speed of it. Like it was just this absolute revelation where I was like, firstly, I really like making puppets. Like this feels cool. Um, you know, I'd sit there and like get really detailed and like, you know. Um, you can kind of fuss over them a bit. And yeah, there is like, a nice. You know, holes in my fingers with the wire and stuff. But like, yeah. it just, I really liked the process. And afterwards I could churn out and like, not a good one, but like I could churn out an entire animation in a night, you know, I mean, like it's magical. Yeah, it is. Um, I think there's a really great sense of like gratification when you're working with stop motion because yes, yeah. obviously I know like any medium, you can put a lot of effort in, and work into, you know, detail, background lighting. But I think for just here's a character, like here's a toy car, I can make that drive across the screen, mm -hmm. you know, in a couple of minutes. Now, mm -hmm. Yeah, it might look a bit choppy and maybe you want to add in a set, but there's enormous sense of like, you know, you, you do it and there it is, you know, it's moving right. out in front of you. So yeah, right, because like with all with all of the goodwill in the world and even cutting all the corners that you can, you cannot do that with hand-drawn animation. And so I, I remember just being like, you know, my God, this is fantastic. I mean, this is a great like, you know, 
even if I'm not going to use stop motion as like my, my final product, this is such a great testing ground to just see what I want and add to it, you know, and get a feel um, for it. Yeah, absolutely. That, that felt really good. Um, and I, you know, I did kind of get like lost in the, I, I like process very much like process yeah. makes me happy. So making a puppet made me happy. It just yeah. felt very like comforting in a way. And seeing like, you know, sometimes it's, it's completely, you know, from your imagination, sometimes it's inspired by something, but taking something that's largely in your head mm -hmm. and using, you know materials sometimes it's just scrap you know yeah. what i mean it's bits of card bits of paper something off a pizza box and mm -hmm. giving something that has life whether it's a character or a set uh yeah. I, it's it's a really great feeling you know what i mean to take it from that to that well and it, you know the other thing too is that like the the mode of it because this is i'm talking about like paper uh puppets here i, I never got into like you know 3d puppetry it was really interesting to me but i just never had the time never got into it so um, so I was still working on flats, basically, and um, it it really worked very well for the kind of material that I was interested in, which was largely based on medieval art. So all of the stuff that I did in, in hand-drawn animation, I just like animated the Bayou tapestry for three years. <laughs> like that's what I did. So just like, right. you know, these like these marching soldiers and but like very flat representations, you mm. know, very, very side. Well, I suppose, especially soldiers like that, if there's a very nice kind of like uh, natural sort of rigidness to them, you know, Absolutely. because of the armor yeah. and the marching. And, and it's actually right. great that you mentioned that because that leads me nicely to sort of the next section, which I kind of picked two of your films uh, to focus on. Uh, one, you're very kind to, to share with me from your kind of earlier works, the age of Scandinavian expansion. Yeah. Uh, and uh, it's great because I love, there is this real thing that when you start out, I think you're like, okay, no, this is just test footage. And now I'm going to get to my real stuff later. And, you know, you're kind of like hide that, like, no, that never happened. But there's a really nice thing when you're able to, you know, chart a course from where someone is now to, you know, where they started out and see all the little bits. Um, and I suppose just before we get into that, just kind of in general, is there, do you like to kind of script and storyboard for your films in, in general in advance or are they more kind of in your head, say for a project like this? No. Yeah. I, I have to, I have to plan them. So um so for the vast majority of the projects that I've worked on, I haven't actually written the script um, because I've worked with like either either clients or like, you know, within an organization where someone else, an expert was brought in to, to write. Okay. Um, but I do have a couple of projects ongoing where um, I have scripted it out and I've scripted it out the way that I would for TV. So it's very rigid. Um, and then the storyboarding is an absolute must for me. I mean, like my, my poor, sad, broken ADHD brain cannot without a storyboard. Yeah, okay. I don't like structure, but I need it in order to get anything you done. Storyboarding is quite important to me. Um, I will sometimes deviate from my storyboard when I decide that there's something better to do, but it's actually quite yeah. rare that I do that. Usually the, the initial plan ends up bearing out. Okay. And I think it's, it's a great point that you mentioned there. Cause I think in my experience, anyway, it's so much easier to deviate from even an initial plan. And mm -hmm. I think you always end up, if you do deviate with a slightly better idea. Whereas for me as well, when you have nothing in front of you and you're kind of like, okay, I guess I'll just do this. You know, you haven't mm -hmm. road tested it. And when you storyboard, would you, would you like kind of hand draw the storyboards or would this be yeah. something that you, yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm a draftsman before I'm an animator um, and I'm an anthropologist before I'm anything else. Honestly, I really kind of consider myself an anthropologist who happens to make videos, but like um, 
definitely I, I think of myself as an illustrator more than I think of myself as an animator, despite the fact that it's what I do professionally. Yeah. Okay. Um, so the drawing is very comfortable and very easy for me. The animation less so. And I was kind of shamed into it, to tell you the truth, because I worked in TV for such a long time. People would be like, Game of Thrones like draws these like beautiful hand painted storyboards. You know, they look like okay, really high-end novels. And I remember looking at them and being like, I have to up my game somehow. You yeah. Know? Oh, it's all isn't it so depressing when uh, you know, when you say, Oh, I do storyboards and and you you're you're kind of looking back through years and then you'll see these beautiful, you know, like making of art of books from movies. I, I have a whole shelf I know, of them. Like and the you're looking at them going, and Yeah, and you're like, like, these are storyboards. You're like, what the <laughs> stop it. Like, who has time? Yeah, yeah that, would, that would take me years to do. I was like, no. And you're just slowly hiding your own, going like, oh, no, I don't do storyboards, actually. I was like, oh, okay. And because you... I didn't want to lie when I told people that I did storyboards for your jobs. I just got, like, more detailed so I could be like, I do, really. Yeah, the, there's the ones you keep to yourself and the ones you show off. Like, oh, yeah, this is, this is a storyboard I do. Yeah. And when you, were, um, when you were first kind of starting or when you use, say, pure paper to do um, an animation like the the uh, Scandinavian expansion, was there a certain kind of camera setup you had or kind of software you were using or, or how were you oh doing? My God, it was a million years ago. Um, so it was, uh, we, we had like your, your typical like down rig that you could like adjust up and down. Oh, and okay, brilliant. The, like, I can't um, think of the, the name for that now. I know I have. I've seen them. Yeah, it's pointed down and you can kind of adjust yeah, yeah, it up, yeah. and up and just, Like incrementally adjusted up or down. Um, and then like there was a very rudimentary light setup that we could use. Um, we were we were paying almost a thousand dollars a credit. So they had to like they had to they had to give you something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they had to pretend like they were a real school. So so we did we did have the rigs. And then um, what we used to stitch everything together was Tune Boom, like the, a million year old version, like the Tyrannosaurus Rex and Toon Boom, whatever it was like back in 2007. Oh, okay, um, brilliant. Which I remember it being really clunky and I think it's gotten a lot better, but it was like ancient Toon Boom. So put that together. <laughs> okay, brilliant. And so for, so for this, just to kind of, were you say the soldiers in different parts, you were making them out of paper and were you kind of, I noticed that they have kind of joints. How are you attaching the, the joints and stuff like that? Well, actually, I, I taught a class on this uh, for the Curiosity uh, Festival. Um, so the way that I was taught to do it was to take like very thin gauge wire, the sort of wire that you use in jewelry making. Um, you can either get it, it can either be like silver or like copper plated. So it's got like a sort of a golden patina. Some people like to hide that, but I always thought it was kind of cool looking. So I just always left it. And what we would do is um, I would use like a, a strong paper, like either watercolor or paper stock um, to, to make the puppet, cut it out, cut all the joints out. And then I would prick a hole through like both sides of the joint, thread the wire through, push down with my thumb and like make a little spiral, very tight spiral. Oh, on okay, cool. Side. Wow. And so like that would make an articulation that it, that was very tight, uh, but that still moved and that would block when you left it in place. Oh, brilliant. Um, so it would stay like it's rigid enough that it would yeah. stay in place, but fluid enough yeah. that you can bend. Wow, and that's cool. Imagine like making a making a very tight spiral of any fine gauge wire like that's going to stay that way. It's going to stay. Like, OK, yeah. that's interesting because, yeah, that's one of the things that I always look at. Uh, you know, you, there's so many different combinations sometimes. And mm -hmm. when you're when you're doing a low budget to no budget film, there, you don't have the luxury of, you know, armatures and blah, blah, blah. You're looking at blue yeah. tack or tape or wire and stuff like that. So 
Now that's yeah, great. So that, that, that wire thing is, is really great because it's, it's probably, I've tried a whole bunch of different things. Uh, when I taught this class, I, I gave them the option if they couldn't find wire on a short notice, you know, to, to use um, like needle and thread. But you don't get the same articulation as you do. And like, I, I don't really recommend it. Whereas like that, that, um, that technique is like really easy, cost-effective and, yeah. and super effective. Like, and that's the thing that's most important. I think the frustrating part is, you know, when you say with the thread, you do all that work and then it's kind of unraveling and each step, the character is getting looser and looser. And you're like, yeah. you'd rather put in the work to have it stay taut, like with mm -hmm. the wire, even if it means, you know, going out, sourcing this stuff and coming back to it, you'd rather that and have a consistency rather than, Oh, his leg fell off towards the end, but we'll just Absolutely. have to make that part of the story. Plus, like, you want to be able to, like, you know, move it all the way around. You can't do yeah. that on the thread, no, you know, you unless, unless you're, but even then, like, I, I feel like even if you're making knots, like, it's just not going to work. Plus, like, there's no. a raised aspect to it if you're making knots, so then you're, like, casting shadows, and it's just not great. Yeah, it's a whole new ballpark <laughs> then. You're like, okay, oh, yeah, geez. And when you were, when you were kind of planning this, this film out, did you have to, like, were you experimenting a lot with, say, size and, and shape of characters, or were you basing it on kind of any particular works or, or anything that like that? animation is so weird because it, it really it really happened in about two nights like right at the end of the school year right before I graduated I feel like I was mostly like in another plane okay <laughs> I wasn't completely <laughs> awake for most of it. higher level of existence very then. strange place and um it happened almost by rote um so as I said like I'd spent about three years drawing the Bayou tapestry over and over and over again and um, that tapestry has such a specific iconography and it's immediately recognizable to anyone who's ever seen it. I'd spent so much time looking at these, these, these soldiers and these colors that I could draw them in my sleep. I mean, like I would, I would draw them on the back of like menus. I would just doodle them on the corners of walls. Like they okay, were, so it was like, like almost like muscle memory. You kind of knew how to do these characters. So when okay. I did this thing, I was just kind of like, this is what's happening. And yeah, exactly <laughs> I mean, what happened. why not utilize all this, all this built up muscle memory? I no have. experimentation, Absolutely. it was just kind of like. <laughs> okay, well, that's, that's amazing. And I mean, I suppose in a way, without thinking about it you've done the legwork in terms of you know not i suppose intending to do an animation necessarily but that was in your mind and clearly there's an interest in it and i always think with animation it is such a long form that if you're going to do something you have to really have a passion for it it can't just be like oh i like cars maybe i'll do something with cars you know what i mean it's obviously kind of brewing there for a while for you what that really kind of what that project really brought back to me brought home to me was that um even when I feel like I'm not working, I'm, I'm kind of working. Like the, the act of looking and storing things um, or working on other projects and like, you know, maybe there are pieces of that that don't make it into the final, um, yeah. but it comes back later on, like three years down the line, five years down the line, you find yourself using the same whale or like, you know, you, you find yourself going back to like, you know, this visual memory that you had that you stored somewhere. And it ends up being that like almost everything you've done ends up being useful in some way. Like almost yeah. everything kind of like works its way towards a project, even if you don't know it at the time that you're interested. I'd, I'd completely agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I've never been amazing at drawing. So for me, it's kind of more things that I might make. So like it might be a piece of set, let's say like mm -hmm. I've made a forest and for the first time I've experimented with using say something new and I'm like oh I might use that in a shot later I might make something and not have a use for it in a, in a story and then all of a sudden that set worms its way into an idea that I had that 
I didn't know I wanted to set in a forest, but yeah, I think there's nothing lost. And I think that part of your brain, the storytelling part never turns off. You know, you're out for a meal with friends and there's something you see and you're like, I'm the worst for kind of taking a picture of things, random things. And, you know, about a few weeks later, you look back through your phone going, what the hell is this picture? Like a mug. I'm like, why why don't I take a photo of that? There are so many gnarled up trees from the highlands on my on my phone because I, I do end up using them actually is usually like two years after I took them but like so many so many throwaway pictures. I can always tell too because I'm looking like the ones that I framed specifically for Instagram then the ones that look like nothing yeah that's an like, art uh, picture. yeah <laughs> it's funny it's good thing uh, phones come with so much memory these days because mm-hmm. all these photos you take yeah you have to have a, have a place to to uh, to store them and uh, with, with the the characters that you were making the for the medieval were these all made of paper it was it was watercolor paper so i guess it's like halfway between paper and card it wasn't, oh, brilliant, it wasn't brilliant. printer paper printer paper i don't think would have held up no i was um, going to say especially under and would you mostly use watercolors is that your kind of medium of choice uh, paint wise yeah, yeah. okay it, brilliant uh, or it used to be anyway I'm, I'm very like very much digital now um largely because of time constraints yeah and then now with the um secret world's of Animal Sleep, which is a fantastic six-part series. Um, and I'd recommend definitely watching it. If you haven't seen it, I'll leave a link in the bottom uh, for anyone who hasn't seen it, because I think the next part that we're going to talk about it really helped to, to understand and, and know these visuals as we talk about them. But would it be fair to say that for this kind of project, you have quite a like a hybrid process, let's say, where it's kind of like a, a nice mix. I've heard you talk about kind of like of paper and digital. Could you could you explain a little bit about your your process and that the hybrid state? Yeah, um, so for me, um, texture is very important, um, and actually, you know, like um, the the brush sets that I find have made enormous strides, like in the last you know two three years. Um, but for a very long time, and I would say like still now, <laughs> you can't quite get the texture of paper um, and watercolor and that like that spread of pigment that you get, you know, when you're when you're doing watercolor, you can't quite get it digitally. You can sort of approximate it a little bit, but you never quite get there. And that was the thing that made me fall in love with watercolor in the first place was that like, you know, when you experimented with different weights of pigment, they made these beautiful mineral test reactions that were, you know, just lovely. And that's, that's all I want in my life is I, I just want to make beautiful mineral tests. Yeah. <laughs> just want to keep mixing them. But it's something that's very um, difficult to do digitally. It's very difficult to, um, it's very difficult to achieve digitally. And so in order to um, fulfill all of my obligations, but still feel like I was making the best artwork that I could be making, what I chose to do is to hybridize. So if I had had all of the time in the world when I started Sleep Series, I would have wanted to do it um, hand-drawn because it's what I knew. Um, and I, I hadn't, I sort of, <laughs> the only class I've ever failed in my entire life <laughs> was, was my After Effects class um, okay. <laughs> in, uh, in college. So, and I failed it twice. Uh, Cause like, I was like, I'm, I can do this the second. No, I couldn't do it. The second time. <laughs> I'm going to learn from my mistakes and oh no, I've just made no, my, my, my brain just did not, did not want it. Could not, could not wrap itself around it. Um, and it's, it's really interesting. Cause like that has, that has been my major mode of work for the past decade. Like as a professional, <laughs> I only okay. use. 
after effects now wow so um but so when i when i started sleep series um i was much more comfortable animating on paper um than i was um via software so i, I kind of had to teach myself both how to use after effects efficiently and then also how to use juic um the plugin which is what i used to to make it um there was no budget on this one <laughs> like my my time my salary was the budget okay so um so there was no extra to like you know work with any cool software or anything like that so like so this I, was I just you plugin. kind of researching and would you would you start with like say characters or even like say backgrounds on, on paper as a reference or would they be things that you were like like scanning into after effects or, or how were you doing that so um, this process is different than the process I would use if I was developing a film on my own. Um, here, I was the animator and the creative director, and I had like all this like awesome visual power, which felt really good at the time. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there were a lot of people over me that I had to that you know were holding me accountable for like various things and who who needed to be convinced first. Okay. So um, instead of the, the typical way, which like when I'm making a film for myself, I'm, I'm testing things out and I, I do typically start with like characters and things like that. I'll, yeah. I'll like sketch out what I, what I want to do, but it's really for my own visual reference. In this case, I had to come up with a whole bunch of like visual materials to convince the higher ups. This was a good idea that we should like continue with this. Okay. Um, and to like kind of give a proof of concept, you know? Yeah. In, in this case, the development was very little about like me testing things out or making up characters and more about like, this is going to be it like this is the character and like my, my worries about it are completely secondary. But how okay. do I convince like you know the the EP of like digital media that like this is that this is viable and was this a case of so when this came across your desk, are you, are you kind of working for um, for them at the time was this for the the Smithsonian. Uh, right. So um, I, I've had a weird career too. I was um, I was on staff at Smithsonian Channel for six years. Um, I, I got laid off last year, uh, right in the middle of the pandemic, which is super awesome. Oh God, sorry to hear that. Um, no, it's fine. You know, they, they actually they did me a favor, but like, and that that wasn't Smithsonian. There was an acquisition. CBS was acquired by Viacom, and they just kind of slashed and burned like entire channels. So like, I, I felt prey to that. But um, the team that I worked with at Smithsonian Channel is fantastic, and I'm still friends with all of them and my boss and everyone you know so um they were great and um yeah so basically i started working there in 2014 as an associate editor um just like two days a week and within three weeks i was full-time <laughs> and my boss had figured out that i could do animation because i'd done some for the smithsonian institution which is a completely different thing they're associated okay. with each other but but they're separate <clears throat> but they're separate. So the channel is a TV channel, and it was a joint venture between these museums that make up the Smithsonian okay. and um, and CBS, uh, which is a, a big, you know, um, American, like very old American broadcasting. Network. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. And is it a case of for them? Do they does this kind of idea come across your table? Is it like is this something we can do? Or how, how do you kind of get They've never done anything like this. So what happened is, um, so you you, uh, you also like in the in the questions that you sent me, you asked about producers, there were two producers who worked on this. My my boss, my, who I was a direct report to, Jenna, who um, also did a Q&A with me for the, the Festival of Curiosity. Um, she was the director of digital media at that point, you know? So, you know, okay. we kind of had this little digital media fiefdom. 
I was her direct report, and, you know, I was animator, editor, whatever. Um, and then there was another like producing, um, there was another like uh, producer who was involved in this called Anissa. And originally it was her idea. So Anissa had come from, I think Nat Geo, it's kind of incestuous. Like everyone in DC either worked for like Discovery, Nat Geo or Smithsonian, Smithsonian. Channel. Wow, they, I was gonna like say, yeah, years. it's like a melting pot, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, it was just kind of like, so did you start a geode or did you start discovery? Yeah, like, where yeah, have so, you been? Um, yeah. So she came from this, like, you know, this, this, like, nature background. Um, and uh, the idea, I think, was originally because she was talking to a scientist friend of hers who was, like, doing some studies on the uh, sleep cycles of birds. And um, they were coming up with some really interesting kind of groundbreaking new science about, like, whether or not birds go through REM sleep and what that looks like when they're, when they're, um, flying because they, they sleep while they fly, which is really interesting. Okay, brilliant. So um so she she came with this idea and she went to Jenna and I think like her her initial idea was that this would be a live action show. Like this would be like your your you know um, oh really so nature, it would be doing a normal nature show. Because okay. that's what we did. That's yeah 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 you know, we would make like hour long, um, you know, documentaries about like, you know, history, science, culture, and like, you know, this ticked one of our boxes. And so like, for, and for had her, they done much animation up until this point? Or because uh, I know they had never, never done any animation at all. Wow. So what happened there is that Jenna, who is marvelous, um, decided like, well, I have this animator on staff who's completely untested, but I have this animator on staff. Like, how about we make an animation? You know, it'll break us free from a lot of the constraints of live action where we can't show the dolphin's brain. We can't show what it might look like for a bird to be sleeping. We don't have like, you know, this, um, we don't have all of the, you know, all of the power of imagination that you could have when you're drawing yes. it. Um, and she had hired me because she liked one of like the folktale animations that I did for Smithsonian. Um, and she was kind of like, you know, you, you can, you can do this. Like you have okay. the art. Yeah. To do this. We'll give you a weekend. Go for it. You're like, oh, okay. So she knew it wasn't going to take a weekend, but it yeah. ended up taking a lot longer than she thought. And I, I was actually pretty good at like, um, at managing the expectations there because like I think that a lot of people you know who'd watched Bones were like oh I know how art works like you give it to the artist she inputs an algorithm and something comes out the other turn 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 and it comes out the other side and were they were they like coming at it at, from the very beginning with six parts or was it just one part like just to do with birds like when no, they no, initially conceived it was, it? it was six parts and the reason for six parts was because we had just launched uh we were in the process of launching an ott app and we just launched on roku and the carousel was like six slots long okay <laughs> so she wanted so, to fill a carousel with some animation that's what dictated that's crazy isn't it yeah. i love hearing about these because sometimes it's so hard to decide on a mm -hmm. number i think with like whenever i think of episodic stuff you know my mind still harkens back to you know, 24 episodes, 22 episodes a season of different things. Whereas nowadays, modern television and modern things, you know, you can have a three-part series, you can have a 12-part series. So I'm always curious to know where the numbers come from. And uh, that's crazy that it's like, here's six slots on a carousel. Right. We need six so, episodes. Yeah, no, like on, on the app, on Roku and on Amazon, there were six slots. And so we were six. like, we'll okay. We'll do six, you know, um, and uh, and so that's how sort of arbitrarily the series happened. Uh, it could have been five, it could have been eight, you know, but like depending was, on yeah, wow, yeah. Um, and uh, and we didn't start with the birds. Um, the birds ended up being episode two. We started with the giraffe, and the giraffe was the first thing I ever drew. So um, I had okay. this really great arrangement with them where I had been a freelancer before they made me staff. 
Um, and also they paid me so little <laughs> compared to everyone else that they could really argue with me. So um, what I did is when they converted me to staff, um, I asked if it would be possible for me to continue coming to France for like a week or two weeks at a time every three to four months because I had elderly grandparents that I helped take care of. And they said, okay. Um, and so okay. I drew the first, like the first proof of concept, the giraffe in the savanna, like using that style with the watercolor on paper in this tiny little cramped hotel room in Caen <laughs> while <laughs> I was on my way to go see the value tapestry. Um, and, uh, and then like, I took a picture of it with my phone. I sent it back, you know, and that was, that was the, that started whatever happened for it. That was the first. Brilliant. Episode. And was that like, before they before you kind of start on that is this something that they're asking you in terms of like you know obviously they're very confident in your as of yet unproven sort of animation skills in that realm but is that something they're saying to you like go away have a think about how you're going to do this and come back to us or or how, how are they how are no. they kind of no no literally we sat down in jenna's office uh with anisa and jenna and uh jenna who i was slightly afraid of at the time <laughs> she was my boss um was good, like good level of fear is do that you know and yeah. i was like yeah i can absolutely sure. do this all on my own and um and then she was like cool okay so uh we're gonna do a giraffe in the savannah you're gonna draw the giraffe i'm going to run it up the flagpole to joseph big boss uh, with all the rest of our plans and uh, then we'll get started and I was like absolutely <laughs> gosh and I think I, mean, I had like I had like I don't know three days to like you know come up with that that initial image okay so you put all that together in the in the initial three days and then I mean it's great that level of confidence in like you can do this go away here's three days come That's back how to Americans me. are you know they're just kind of like it's um Here's a time frame. Make it happen. It's not it's like they can fire you at will. They have like great confidence. Yeah, <laughs> we can either inspire or fire. That's it. That's, yeah. it. That's well, how we were so, like they also. But it's also like the, there's no loss for them. You know, I mean, like they can take a chance on like a young animator yeah. who doesn't know what they're doing, because like if they want to get rid of you three weeks down the line, they can. You know? so, like, well, so well, on well, one well. hand, there's a lot of fear about making sure that you're like. <laughs> actually living up to expectations and like god knows i have a hefty dose of that but then on the other hand like i think i got opportunities that i wouldn't have anywhere else because of it because of these people who were like let's just do this yeah I, th I think that's what's great when like obviously you're just in a great position where you're on staff you're obviously trusted as a as an editor you've shown kind of like little bits of animation and to be able to turn around and go like give you time well, very little amount of time, but also to give you that kind of space to kind of go here, not just like, here's some storyboards that we got made, turn this into a film. Like, yeah. I think there must've been a great feeling of having that sense of control at the start of like, here's a blank canvas, like mm -hmm. draw, draft, Savannah, what's your impression of that? Uh, exactly. And it was, it was communicated to me pretty, pretty fast that like, I was just going to be in charge of visual, like um, the, the credit that I was going to get was not just animator. I was going to be the creative director of it. Like I was in charge of wow. visual. Wow. That's it. amazing. The, that was really cool because it gave me all this latitude to make, you know, these creative decisions that I wouldn't have been able to make if I'd been yeah. working with someone over top of me trying to give me because I've done that I've done that a lot too like I've worked with producers who have no idea how to produce animation but who know what they want and they're yeah. like you know they're they're kind of forcing you to make tweaks and then at the end they're like oh no this isn't no, what we that's wanted. not what I wanted like, yeah I want more no, trees no. <laughs> but uh I suppose yeah with that comes a lot of pressure but also a lot of freedom and a lot of control mm -hmm. so so you were the sole 
kind of animator and creative director on this? For the first three episodes. So um, I, all of the artwork you see is mine. Everything you see, I drew like that, all of it, you know, um, there was absolutely Brilliant. no one else there. And all of the scenes that you see, I came up with as well. Like those are my storyboards um, and I, I built all of those sets. But um, for the back three episodes, um, for um, Strange Slumber, the um, Arctic Round Squirrel episode, which is fantastic, I just love it. Um, and then the baby sleeping, I had an, I had an alt um, animator who was working with me okay. and, um, and he's fantastic. His name is Aaron Wendell, we went to school together and um, we brought him in, I brought him in because like there, I just, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't make it happen fast enough. Um, yeah. The series got made in two years, but I was also making other projects while this was happening. So like oh, we, we still had wow. shows that we needed to promote. We yeah. still had all of this text on screen that needed to get made for like, you know, Facebook and all that. And I was the only animator. So like- So you're having that, to do this and then also prioritize these kind of all mini of the projects. All the text in. on screen that Smithsonian Channel put out for six years were made by me. I typed those in, you know, like wow. every okay. Like, so, so it's like um, here, here's your day job still, but also get that series done. I was working it, like 80 hours a week for a while there. Um, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was like, I, I was sleeping at the office uh, during Final Finished as well, like just babysitting renders that took forever because like Jesus, these are older. You know, this was all made in 4K. Yeah, <laughs> so the render time. I was on a laptop for the first year of that production. <laughs> wow. Tough. Okay. Yeah, that's gonna. So and 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 like. Was that something that I know you kind of said wasn't initially like what they envisioned, but when it became clear, was it a certain point where it said like, this is going to take this amount of time? Or was it like, we want it done as soon as possible? When's that going to be? And it was just a like an evolving process. So at the beginning, um, it was really kind of like, I think they, they were laboring under the delusion that it would be made in like six six months or something like that. And I was like, no, it won't. No. You know, it, like, it'll take at least a year. It'll probably take more, you know, especially yeah. if you're the only one working. Um, and, I always love uh, that part where someone's like, you could do it in six months, could you? And you say a year, they're like, okay, six months. You're like, no, this isn't a bargaining tool. I'm, I'm being No, genuine. no, I know, I know. Yeah, <laughs> but like producers literally think it is. They're yeah. like, oh yeah, this is eight months. You know, I'm like, no, you can't. Like we're like, haggling. the laws of physics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't physically make <laughs> all that. Just it's like, just not possible. No, please understand that there are 24 images or 29 whatever images that make up like a second of motion. Like that's just the way it is, you know? Yeah. So there's no cheating um, that. No, so it, it was really interesting. I basically I just ended up like building as much time into um, into my timelines as possible, and I think like it, it eventually convinced them that like no, this was going to take a while, and there this was going to be like final mix and stuff. So yes, um, okay, brilliant. Yeah. And with all the like, uh, I, it's very noticeable in the credits when you see like all the the different producers and things. Was there was your main contact with your with your two producers, or was there ever? kind of meetings or reviews where people would you know things would come down from the top saying I don't like those houses or I want that sky lighter or were you kind of left to so to kind of um, we were insulated like this uh this would require a detour into the politics of the channel that like we don't have the time or inclination for here but like basically um digital media was sort of like a sort of a separate thing uh we kind of okay. always did our own thing because um, we didn't appear on linear, right? So we weren't like on the TV station itself that we were gonna show up on the channel. Uh, okay. uh, we lived on the internet, we lived somewhere else and we had a different demographic that we were hitting as well. Like the people who consumed us were a lot younger than the people who watched the channel. So we had a completely okay. different mandate. So you were a bit separate. Boss, and so we were sort of like the weird cool kid of the channel that like yeah, no okay. one really interacted yes. with. 
So all of those producers that you see on the second like page of credits, those people didn't even see that until it was out. Like, until it was out. Really? No, there was like no contact from them whatsoever. They're listed as producers because they have like a producer status with the channel. And this was a channel production, but they okay. had nothing to do with it. God, that's um, crazy how that works. Wow. Okay. It. Like that, that was it. So the people. I, I was thinking, I was worried for you there when I saw all that. I was like, whoa, was she the only animator? And you've got like, you know, 12 hats. 300 and... producers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, all, yeah. All so they had nothing to do with it. Like we gave them a courtesy call at the end. We were like, hey, we're putting this out, you know, like, but that was it. Um, so, so those people have nothing to do with it. Um, the people who actually worked on this uh, were James Manful, the writer, um, Eric Nickerson, the. Um, uh, the composer, myself, um, Aaron Wendell for the back three um, animation episodes, and then Jenna Hutchinson and um, Anissa Peters is the two producers who guided the project. Okay. And then um, we also had like a couple of like, I think Ashley Brown is credited as an AP. Um, she helped like, you know, run the budgeting and um, yeah. all, all of the, the like, kind of scheduling stuff, and, you know, like yeah. that was her. So that, yeah, that's, that's it. Like that was the group. And that group of people were in a room together talking to plan every single episode. Okay. So that was going to be people. my next kind of question was like, was there an, an element of collaboration? And Absolutely. like, obviously, yeah. Okay. That's brilliant. Cause sometimes really collaborative. there is, you know, it's good and bad. Like, like all things you can kind of see it as restricting or you can see it as, as kind of encouraging, but I guess uh, the, the collaboration element I find is so important sometimes, even just as a sounding board. Uh -huh. Sometimes people can be very precious, like this is what I've written, animated, don't question it. And yep. you're like, okay, but what if we, and like, no. So it's great. And were, did you find that the team were kind of open to like collaboration suggestion, like it was a kind of a melting pot? We didn't have a choice. Um, I think that when you have a director who's also an animator, they can get really precious, as you say, and that causes yeah. problems because they're married to like a certain aspect of their work and that sometimes they're not able to see that other people can bring- some Take a step back, yeah. Um, I did not have that luxury because I wasn't really in charge. I mean, I was in charge of the way that it looked, but I was the lowly report to a director of something, you know, like what she said okay. really mattered. Um, and all of us here were trying to work together to accomplish a vision that was bigger than us. It wasn't my baby, you know, it was like, it was this bigger project and all of us had a stake in it, you know? Okay. And I actually found it to be extremely rewarding with the, um, with the writer, it had to be collaborative because he was going to write it regardless of what I thought and he was great like I, I loved him but regardless of how I felt about him he was going to write this thing you know, he was going to write hired, yeah. that's what was going to happen so I was going to have to find a way to work with it even if I didn't like it yeah so I was um I had a huge vested interest in, in liking it and making sure that I was helping him to understand the limitations, but also like, you know, the- What's the, possible and- Possible. Yeah. Like how I, would, how I would show certain things. And that influenced the language that he would use. And he was great because he was like a veteran scriptwriter. He didn't have to listen to me, but he did. Um, and so we, we worked together to make sure that like, he got to tell the things that he needed to tell that were important to the script. And we, we did it in such a way that I could animate it in a way that made sense. So like that worked. Okay. Great. Brilliant. Just and because... then, sorry, no. And then no, Eric yeah. was, was wonderful. Like Eric is my favorite uh, person in the entire universe, like great composer, um, totally understood what we were talking about when we were like, we'd like sort of like Bjork meets like Peter and the Wolf. 
okay yes <laughs> and that was the that was the kind of pitch he was working off because that's one of the things i was going to ask was that as a as someone like who makes animations myself you know music is is such an important part and i know it's such a cliche thing to say but it really does help breathe life and just kind of gives things you know a tone and when it's bad music it really drags the animation down and even just bland music can kind of kill something where you're like you put so much work in was did he have any kind of like inside track into seeing the early visuals or yeah was, he was in the he was in the room with us well he was in the room he was, from the he, beginning he saw, he saw the the um the storyboards you know oh and then brilliant, brilliant. Saw every step of the illustration and like you know the animatics and he was composing at animatic stage we weren't even waiting until it like actually started really wow okay that's brilliant so what would happen is that like we made the decision not to do any fully um both for like budgeting and time reasons but then he kind of added in like a layer of fully there are little dings that happen at like certain times um, and so in order to do that, he had to, you know, he had to have like an idea of the timing um, and then he'd refine it. But we had this like totally seamless collaboration where he seemed to understand exactly the kind of music that would work for the artwork. <laughs> so, wow, that's amazing. And I mean, I mean, that's a gift because sometimes you, you know, you put this feels like your baby in someone else's hands and they can be a spectacular songwriter, a spectacular composer, but it just doesn't fit. And it's yeah. a really difficult conversation to have with someone on any level, you know, amateur or professional where you're like, uh, and they're like, oh, what, what, what do you think? And you're like, you know, you, you, you need to be positive and constructive. But when someone mm -hmm. just gets it like that, I think it's such a, uh, not only a weight off, but also kind of inspiring where you're like. Because it elevates the entire project. Yeah. You know, like it's not pasted on, it's not bringing it down. It literally just elevates the entire project. And that felt really good. Mm -hmm. Wow. And, and it's, it's great that he was there. Was he on staff? Like no. for no, he was just kind of no, brought in no, for this. Neither neither um, the scriptwriter or um, the composer were on staff. They were both freelancers. Um, both really, well. I shouldn't have been on staff. Like people like me aren't normally on staff. I should have been a freelancer. But <laughs> there you go. Okay, just the, the way it worked out. No, that's brilliant. And uh, I was going to say as well, one thing that I really loved about these uh, this series was just the level of of detail in them. You know, from mm -hmm. from foreground to background, and there's. I've watched them a couple of times and, and there's a lot happening, which I love being able to kind of go back through an animation and kind of like focus on a different area. Were you working with many different layers, um, oh. you know, from from uh, foreground to yeah. background? That's why the that's why the renders were so painful. Um, so I don't think I completely answered the question that you asked about, like the hybrid approach that I was making. But basically, like I was drawing a lot of these backgrounds or at least the textures on paper and then scanning them in um, to Photoshop. And because I have like an archival background, I was probably scanning them in like at a higher resolution than they ever needed. Uh, need. like, okay. These were like big clunky files. Um, and then I was bringing them into Photoshop and I was like, yeah, like 130 layers in order to like get one of those scenes down. Sometimes every really? single, sometimes every single last leaf is on its own layer so that I had all of like the motion down because I needed to, to have control issue. Wow. You know? okay. So um, I'm a bit I was going to I was going to take a guess at a number of layers, and that was not it. <laughs> it was going to be a lot no, lower. No, like I, I just finished a bunch of illustration for a magazine. I'm not even prepping it for for animation, which is where it gets like really layer intensive. 
and I'm I'm clocking in at like 78 layers for one really? of the drawings. So yeah, it's wow. No wonder the render time is quite long. It's like that's... so I did my best to like you know uh, to to comp to composite everything together. Yes, not even how you say it in English, but anyway, um, and and like reduce the size and everything, but like it wasn't perfect. But that's so. what you need. But no, and I, I I love hearing about that because I think it does. Like for me, just as someone who didn't really understand the process, like I remember when I first saw it, it had such a paper-like quality to it. But there was also some things that were just very, you know, I, I knew had to be done on a computer just from, from looking at it. Or if they hadn't been, I was like, what kind of witchcraft is this? <laughs> uh, <just> yeah. <laughs> uh, how are they doing that? Never any um, lighting problems. Yeah, you're just like, but the, yeah, that's, it's really interesting to hear about the different layers because you kind of I suppose you have an idea in your head of like you know the main things that are moving and is everything else just but for you it was important to as many layers as possible to help I suppose give greater control and also greater yeah you know and also because like um there's some subtle parallaxes and some of them um in order to to keep it moving um there's that super annoying transition effect uh, where everything slides sideways and for that everything had to be like or at least all, all of the um, elements of like the foreground and the background and like the character had to be on their own layers in order to like slide first. yeah I was going to ask about um, that was that was that your choice to have things not cut but to I gave them a bonus and what I wanted were just straight cuts uh, yeah. I felt like that worked better and then that also like made my life easier I hope Jenna doesn't watch this because she doesn't know this. <laughs> like I gave them the option is you know you when, when you work for when you work for producers or when you work in like in a, in a tv channel or in media what you have to do is basically like when you're coming up with options for the client which is usually your employer you make like a good one and then you make like two really shitty ones that you don't want them to yeah <laughs> so that you kind of like direct them yeah you know? like, like oh, maybe this, this one's one. a good one yeah. yeah um it's got like an 80 percent success rate but like in okay. this case they really liked the sliding motion and i was like ah oh, god you know because it was so much more complicated yeah but i was gonna say like for me again just like <laughs> sitting back as someone who was just watching it I was just really intrigued. That was my my first trigger that this wasn't. If mm -hmm. this was a paper animation, this was the most elaborate. I was like, what kind of sets? Where I'm look like we're going through a maze. But there is that just brought it up a level for me, just in terms of like the the, the production value of it. So even though it probably cost you a lot more work, uh, just the the transitions were. It was an absolute nightmare because, like, remember, I would animate three quarters of a thing and then I do like two other projects and I come back to it like a month later you know oh, and okay. Jeez, within that month that. somehow After Effects would have done a thing where like you know my, my comp on like you know the the transition would have grown by like a pixel so all of a sudden there was a jump and I couldn't figure out where the jump was and just endless hours of just pacing back and forth like you know God. one keyframe at a time trying to figure out like what the discrepancy was like onion skinning things to make sure that everything was like on top it was really nightmare. just to get nightmare. that okay just well nightmare. i can really appreciate it never do that. it yeah. don't do yeah. it yeah because yeah. <laughs> i was gonna say i was like oh i could try some of that it's like no, no my advice for other animators is do not do this yeah i feel <laughs> like you're instance. you're that char character in a horror movie warning people off going in there don't and we're like ah don't listen to her she doesn't do not know what go upstairs about. yeah <laughs> But it does, I have to say that the results at the end were, were incredible. Uh, they really were. Um, and I heard you, I listened to one of the interviews you've done on a, on a different podcast, the Talk Nerdy podcast, uh, which was great, by the way. And you were talking about the kind of research for the different animals. Um, was this something that you had to, because obviously, you know, there's, 
very different walk cycle. Well, I mm. don't know, you could say a walk cycle for a jellyfish, but movement, let's say, cycle for say, <coughs> the difference between like a giraffe, you know, to a dolphin, to a jellyfish. Is this something that you had to research a lot and test out before? Yes. Um, so um, I actually have, oh gosh, I can't like remember this dude's last name, which is really kind of embarrassing. Um, for the Q&A that uh, Jenna and I did for the Dublin Curiosity Festival, we, um, the, the Q&A was moderated by Jim, whose Italian last name, which is really wonderful, I can somehow just never pronounce. Um, but he is um, a highly decorated animator who worked for Disney. And um, he asked me the same question. It really kind of brought my entire life like full circle. So I remember when I was a kid watching a documentary about the making of the Lion King. And I remember like, you know, seeing like they would go out to zoos and they're all like sitting in the line, like, you know, drawing the animals. I'm pretty sure that that was like entirely for show. And then no yeah. one ever, like that <laughs> study. But like there were also like all these shots of like animators and sound stages, like on sound stages like down on all fours like testing out the motion oh wow and I was like I don't know when I saw this like when did the Lion King come out whatever I was like 10 or something watching this and I was like oh this is how you do it you know so when it came time to do the sleep series I watched hours and hours and hours of nature footage in order to figure out how the motion worked and then I also got down on all fours and like just mimed walking as a giraffe yeah. you know, to get an idea like as you do <laughs> in the middle of this open plan office with all of the APs running around trying to find like you know Hitler's secret submarine base, the video. Um, so like, I'm sure that was a, a sure sign of confidence. They were like, mm, I think. Well, it was uh, really funny because I'd be there like trying to be a giraffe and like an AP would be running around going, where's Hitler? So, wow. Pure pandemonium on that yeah. floor. Really you, you wouldn't want to be a stranger um, in that office going, do I have the right place? So, yeah. yeah, they're all, yeah, they're yeah. all a little mad in here. <laughs> So yeah, a bunch of nutcases. Yeah. That's how you make TV. <laughs> yeah. But so so I did a lot of that. And it was really kind of related to that that video of the making of the Lion King that I saw when I was a kid. And so when I was doing the QA, um, Jim, who was nominated for an Oscar for uh, The Lion King specifically was like, how did you do the research? <laughs> and I was like, well, Jim, <laughs> based on my professional understanding of how you did it for The Lion King, that's what I did. So I just replicated your model. I was like, I just, yeah. You know, I mean, you said that that's what you did and I really took that to heart. <laughs> so I got down on my hands and knees and did that. And he seemed to think that that was a little weird. So I don't, <laughs> Wow. Okay. So maybe that's I think that that video lied, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> but I have to say it, it was really helpful to get like a physical impression for like how the motion worked. Yeah. It, it, I think it made me feel better about like animating volumes and making sure that the weight was there. So. Yeah. Cause I have to say, like, I, I just couldn't get over for, you know, such a, such a small series, how many different animals you know i know your focus is on kind of one or two let's say in the actual series but there's so many like little cameos from different animals all with very different kind of walk cycles or, or signatures so i was just looking at that going even that alone you'd want someone just researching you know character movement if this was like you know a, a bigger team so that was kind of all down to you and was there one in particular that was like very difficult to to get the movement of Mm, the giraffe, I think, is probably the most difficult. Um, the giraffe. Okay. Oh wow, I wouldn't have guessed that. Giraffes are very um, giraffes are very graceful. Um, they're not clunky. They're also not very linear. The way that they walk is very like whoop whoop. You know, okay. kind of. Um, like a kind that of that was one that was really good for getting down. On <laughs> yeah. <first. laughs> um, 
it was very, you couldn't do it with like a prepackaged walk cycle. You, you couldn't rotoscope it either. Like um, it just, it, it never felt flowy enough. And there are issues with a lot of that animation. I mean, like I'm all alone animating and I'm not the greatest animator in the world. So like, you know, there, there are bits that like that, that kind of, that don't feel naturalistic. And so because I wanted people to be able to suspend disbelief um, yeah. The hero animal had to move correctly, you know, like it just had to, you know, um, in order to kind of distract from all the other yeah. tiny errors that were happening. All and you time. don't want that one bit to be the bit you're looking at going, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I don't want, you know, and you have like, you have like, what, like two seconds to convince someone to watch your video. They won't yeah. even watch it till the end, but like two seconds to convince them not to click away from it immediately. Yeah, you know? <laughs> not to hit that X or next, yeah. <laughs> So that giraffe, that initial walk cycle, the first steps that it took in that savanna, like it, it had to, it had to be like, it had to be good. Um, and so there was a lot of pressure there. And also I was learning Duick. I, you know, I'd never used it before when I started animating. So, I was just kinda... so this is something you're learning. On. And, and was this purely like looking up tutorials on it and then trying it out kind of, you know, in, in your, in your own time, that kind of stuff? For Duick, um, at the time, it was a little less complicated than it is now, where okay. like, as it's much more powerful now, but like you kind of have to know what you're doing to use it. Yeah. Uh, back in it's the so, day. It's so funny how that goes, isn't it? Yeah. It's like things get better, but they also get far more complicated. You, you open up an interface and you're like, holy God. I don't yeah, know where exactly. to click well, here. So like yeah. now um, I talk about this a little bit in the um, in the, the podcast that I did with Kara Maria, but like they have they have these different like um, presets for different kinds of animals um, and the way that they link up for like plantigrades, digitigrades, stuff like that, you know. Oh, brilliant. So um, you can kind of use that and then sort of adapt it a little bit. But actually, that's kind of a little bit more complicated because you have to make sure that your drawing is pretty naturalistic in order for that to work or else like you end up with like a crazy draft that kind of like walks okay. so, right, this, um, this doesn't seem right. So with early with early Duick, it was kind of the Wild West and there was only one way to rig. Um, so I like just kind of did it the way I thought it would work. And uh, the first. OK, so it's only later that they've come in with the presets <laughs> and stuff, is it? God, that's typical, isn't it? It's like I know. Actually, you have to... Then I got really used to the way that it was, and like I had to learn the new interface. And I was like, well, "This is for the children." I don't. Yeah. <laughs> I remember the old Duick. You're like members jacket. Yeah, Duick used to be much better. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like we, we've all heard that. And uh, yeah. do you think, like from, like on reflection, now that you've kind of, I suppose, come through the fire on this kind of hybrid process now of like combining. I suppose the raw materials of paper, but into a digital world where obviously that there are so many more options and just even in terms of like professional looking output, like I was blown away by the finished results. Like I remember seeing your, your uh, advertisement for the, for the workshop with made a paper and stuff. I remember looking at the draft being like, God, it's so similar to the, to the digital thing. I wonder how you, how you married them. Do, do you think you're on this hybrid process now for good? Or do you think you'd ever go back to kind of pure paper or, I think I would only go back to pure paper if I was collaborating with people who knew what they were doing. Um, I think okay. I would do that if I was working with a team. I think that like um, a lot of the a lot of the projects that I do now, like I'm, I'm a working animator, it's what I do for a living, um, and a lot of that stuff is corporate, and a lot of that stuff is a very quick turnaround, and there just okay. isn't time. Yeah. Um, for my own projects, uh, like briefly talk about like fear of failure. Um, I have a tendency to stick 
to my comfort zone because I'm not comfortable with my comfort zone anyway. Yeah. I'm not, get, I'm not, <laughs> it's I'm not like I'm getting bored. I'm still terrified and reinventing the wheel every time. But certainly like straying too far out of that and like having to worry about like lighting and like a camera and stuff like that um, would be so terrifying that I think I would just end up in a state of paralysis. <laughs> so um so for for everything that i'm planning going forward i think that like yeah sticking to that hybrid approach until i hate it and want to tear my eyes out when yeah. i start have you used that hybrid process for anything since secret world everything everything okay everything. wow so that's your kind of way However, going forward everything um i've never not used it at this point um every single thing that you see on my website was was done that way yeah. um i'm very conscious i've always had like a good idea or at least i think i have a good idea of like my identity as a as an artist um and um i've always been very conscious of the fact that i'm a better illustrator than i am an animator and so like i i need to lean on the illustration yeah, so the illustration has to be like as spectacular as possible and that means a hybrid approach that means that i'm working on paper and then also digitally Brilliant. and then um i just yeah i understand doing well now so in the background of your screen as well there's a lot of uh, star conflict uh posters oh, yeah. like various various <laughs> ones uh which is super cool definitely it's, it's, for someone was interested in models like you know those guys especially like the the old movies i feel like the the main oh, step of those movies is the miniature uh, sets the and stuff of those models yeah oh, <laughs> so yeah weird. i've so many books and you know all those like special features where you get like one movie and it's four discs i remember pouring over them and most of what i learned came from them i think uh -huh. there's a lot of uh like a whole generation that maybe learned filmmaking from the lord of the rings special yeah. edition stuff i remember uh -huh. watching that going like oh that's a model like, yeah yeah you know honestly um I, I haven't thought about it in a really long time but same like the the first lord of the rings movie came out when i was a freshman in high school so when i was 14 and i remember just being like yes yeah. <laughs> like this is this is great like I, honestly and i feel like they hold up too um yeah and it's crazy that that are a little dated but not a lot no it, it really and like i think one of the big things that i look back on and think that they were quite ahead of the time was just to document all this because i think not not that every film not that other films hadn't done behind the scenes but i think there was a sense of holding back like we don't want to show people too much because then they'll just do what we're doing and you know right. it'll, it'll dispel the magic a little whereas i feel like with lord of the rings they shot more kind of making of almost than they did yeah. actual movies which is saying a lot because the movies well, are certainly the the weirdo workshop footage it was what yeah. To, to do film like I, I remember watching that and being like I'm exactly this kind of crazy person yeah this is what I want I need to, to move to New Zealand round up a couple of like-minded <laughs> people and like yeah I'm right. just on the wrong continent and, you know honestly Joe like to this day um I will not consider my career a success if at the end of my life I have not had some hands somewhere even if it's like in the art direction even if it's like in the costume department like making um little little like pieces of armor by hand um i will not consider my career success if i haven't had a hand in some kind of silmarillion adaptation it will happen. <laughs> it must you just like, have to put it out there enough to start <laughs> illustrating it i have so many feelings person. like um during the the making of sleep series towards the end like at like final mid stage when i was like rendering these like 4k scenes and they were taking 12 hours a piece what I did for the most part was um, I, I did some in-depth research into what I thought the various um, architectural styles for each of the elven kingdoms of the first era should be like. Wow, yeah. okay. 
I so have that's the level of a research. lot of research. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll chop this part out and we can just, you can just release this around and just be like, oh, did, did I mention that? Did I do that work? Oh, yeah. It's there if you yeah. want to see it. Just be slowly become known as that person. Absolutely. Yeah. God, yeah. That's Hear crazy. that, Amazon. Give me yeah. a <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose just uh just kind of wrapping up and, and it's it's great to kind of talk about the i suppose the different things that have influenced us and also the different things that you kind of picked up on you know when, when you were starting out in, in terms of like advice now that you were where you are looking back is there any kind of advice you have for say someone maybe starting out in animation or getting into it anything that you kind of learned or you think would be helpful to someone starting out yeah um there are a couple of things um this is really sort of applicable, not necessarily to like the baby directors out there who are like working on their own films and like pushing through their own projects, um, but more so for the people who will work for other people first. And that is um, value your time. Um, this is a very difficult um, industry that requires huge amounts of effort, huge amounts of time. And people don't take it as seriously as they really should, especially people who don't really understand it and they, they want things from you that sometimes like defy the laws of physics and like um, you, you have to be able to advocate for yourself to be very unhappy and you're not going to sleep. Um, and um, that's easier to do when you're like 22, 23, it becomes harder later on. So like value, value your time, make sure that you advocate for your own time. <laughs> okay, no, that's, I think As that's- someone who feels like I got really exploited for a long yeah, time. Yeah, no, I, I think that's so important because there is this sense of like, almost exactly like you were saying with the secret world of sleep. And I don't think a lot of the time it's malicious. I think just people go, you know what? oh, I could film a dog running around in circles in 10 seconds. So you could animate one in what, 20? And mm -hmm. I don't think there's this appreciation for it. No, like frame by frame, you know, this isn't like a, a used car, car dealership. I'm not trying to haggle with you to you know, make it seem longer. This is the amount of time. And I think people who are green lighting these things don't always understand that. They kind of have a, eh, yeah, of course you'd say that, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, and I, uh, I mean, especially like in the big animation hubs. Like, if you move to LA, which is what a lot of the um, a lot of people I knew did. Uh, most of my career has been defined by the fact that I refused to move to New York and I refused to move to LA. So, like, it's whatever's left in the middle. That's what I'm yeah, doing. That's um, right. That's what's happening here. But um, but those industries can be extremely exploitative. And like, I don't think that it's like it's knowingly malicious, but certainly like they'll try to wring every single last ounce of work out of you. And the thing that I've always found a little bit disturbing is that like up, up the hierarchy, uh, the ideas, people, the producers, the execs, whatever, they make a lot more money than the artists do. And like, you're the one who's making it. So um, I've been in a lot of meetings where people are like, yeah, you know, it's going to, it's going to be a lot of work, but we're going to buckle down. We're going to make it happen. <laughs> Whenever I hear that, it always kind of makes my ears perk up because it's kind of like, who's going to be? Yeah. yeah. So can, can you elaborate you? on that? We were there. Yeah. <laughs> is it you? You know, yeah. <laughs> so I feel like, yeah, there's um, so my, my advice would just be like, you know, value your skill set, value your time and, and, you know, make sure make sure that you 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 continue to check in with yourself yeah. and make sure that you feel good about the stuff that you're doing, the people you're working for, because if you don't, uh, there are other places that you yeah. can work and there's yourself. You can also work for yourself. Yeah. So. No, I, I love that. I think yeah. that's great advice. And is there anything that you, because I know from just speaking to loads of different animators, uh, they, they all have kind of different ways of working. Is, is there any particular kind of 
thing or way that you like to work in terms of like a specific time of day that you're you know most functioning at do you listen to music do you how do you uh how do you like to work I definitely listen to music. Um, working is, it's a, this is a difficult question for me to answer, not because it's a difficult, because um, the answer is difficult, but because like, I, I'm not, I'm not, I haven't fully worked out the kinks of my process. So uh, as I mentioned briefly earlier, like uh, I have uh, ADHD and uh, obviously that, that makes working difficult. Um, like yes. there are like, there are some hurdles there that I think that like some, you know, more, more neurotypical people don't necessarily deal with. So I deal with like crippling amounts of like, not just art block, but just pure paralysis, like complete, like, you know, executive dysfunction. So I uh, have a tendency to just follow the serotonin and work when I can, when you can. Okay. which kind of ends up being like, like, you know, like I, I've gotten to the point where I'm tired of not doing the task and my brain has melted and it's nine o'clock at night and I'm going to sit down and I'm just going to do this. Just got, okay. 12 hours overnight. Yeah. <laughs> don't recommend this to anyone no. I'm trying to find better ways to do it. But like certainly listening to music is a must because at three o'clock in the morning when you've been working for six hours, you kind of touch the void. Like you need something. <laughs> yeah. Even if it's just a distraction or something, you know, it doesn't have to be motivating. It can just be distracting. Not a very good answer to that question. I hope that most no. people are not dealing with this, but like um, another thing that I found helpful is that like when I'm working on a project late at night, because um, I'm a broken person and that's all I could do. And <laughs> like a deadline is coming up. What I do is I'll, I'll set up a computer and just like play um, a, a series that I already know. So I'm not tempted to look at it, but like the voices are kind of comforting in the background. Oh, okay, brilliant. Um, so like, a, like a TV show. And, like reveal my age here, but like usually it's Gilmore Girls. Okay. <laughs> so. Oh, nice. And it's like I think there's there's something you know something nice and comforting. You know what I mean? You don't necessarily want to be playing something that's horror or thriller driven, where you're you know it's adding to your franticness. You need something that's you know got nice music. It really depends on who you are. Yeah, but like yeah. for me, I like a sitcom is safest. Like I don't yeah. pay attention to it, but it feels like maybe there are people there. Yeah, it just create, it creates a nice atmosphere. You're like, oh, I have friends up. Who knows? I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this room. And uh, as a as a say a professional uh, in in the in the professional world, do you do you have a, a show reel? Because this is something that I ask people a lot, just in terms of like, you know, do you feel that they're important? And 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 do you have one? Can you speak to that at all? Um, I do have a show reel. I have a show reel that I haven't updated in two years um, because I feel like show reel are very important at the beginning of your career and become less important as you create like a stable clients who already know you. Yeah. So um, I do use my showreel when I am trying to um, attract a new client or I'm trying to convince someone to work with me um, because I find that that's a really great way of like giving them a brief introduction, like a little blitz, you know. Snapshot of like what yeah. you do. Yeah. The creative possibilities here. Um, but um certainly like over time it's not necessary once people know you and I have a tendency to work with the same clients over and over again that's kind of okay. the goal of like building a client list so um it's it's more important I would say at the beginning of your at the beginning and I noticed your your website is great because it is you know do you ever find that sometimes some people's websites are you know it might just be one page or it's a little bit clunky I like that yours is laid out by you know everything <laughs> yeah but I like your homepage with the kind of like you know, the little collage of, you know, this project, this project, and then you can click in on it. So like, do you ever point people just towards your website as a kind of a showreel? 
Yes, yeah. um, most of the time, that's what I do. I'll, yes. I'll include my showreel like on, on my resume um, or in the uh, the signature of my email, for example. Sometimes oh, that's all people want. Like when they ask for a showreel specifically, I have one to offer them. Yeah. But um, the vast majority of the people I work with, I just, I give them my website. Um, I tell them like all the videos are under the video tab and like just have at it. Just go for it. Because I, I love when you're able to... Uh, you know, expand upon a showreel because there's nothing worse than when you're really interested in a clip of a film and then it's just gone and you're like, oh, I yeah. want to see the the larger form of that, you know, what it's evolved well, I, in. Or Everything I've ever made that I have like a legal claim to, so there's some stuff that I made for other people that I can't show, you know, but like okay. um, everything that I've that I've made uh, is is on the video tab of my website. I just kind of let people go for okay. it. Okay, brilliant, brilliant. And I suppose this is a question again that, you know, some people have long answers for it. So people are like, I don't actually know, but is there a way for, let's say an uninspiring day, because any artist, you know, there's days you wake up and you just have pep in your step and it's like a scene from Ferris Bueller. You're just, you know, there's music playing and everything's going well. This never happens to me. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that's just me. Maybe I need to get checked out. I'm but, Cameron uh, from Ferris Bueller. I'm not, yeah. sorry, what's his name? Yeah, the uh, the friend with the- Oh yes, the slightly more discerning me. one. Uh, is there any way that like, do you have to kind of take a break? Do you have to go, you know what, this just isn't working out? Or do you prefer just to kind of keep keep, keep at it until you get it right? Like what, what's your kind of coping mechanism for that? Well, um, it depends. So like there, there are significant periods of time where I cannot make myself work at all. Um, and in that case, it's really about like staving off feelings of utter worthlessness and not about like sitting down to work. Doing okay. So um, in those cases, yeah, there's a lot of like, go outside, go look at some trees, yeah, stop, you know, do something different. Um, yeah, stop, stop beating yourself up and like adding to the paralysis that will become completely insurmountable in about three days, you know, like, don't, don't do that. So, um, so I think that there, there is a time when you're not too far on deadline where you can kind of like be like, yeah, it's not going to happen today, but I'm also not going to destroy myself over it. And I'm going to go and like take a long walk and like breathe some air and like reset a little bit. Okay. And then when you come to the point where you must, you have to do the work, um, then I think that, well, so what I do is I immerse myself in things that I know make me happy and sort of like make me want to create Um Specifically, these are historically based. If I listen to medieval music, I get a lot of images in my head because that's what I'm attracted to. Wow, and okay. I know that that'll make me feel good. It'll make me feel in control. It'll make me, it'll put me back in like, you know, in a place where I, I feel like I'm, I'm you can calmer and better. And yeah. like, I've, I've got, I've got some inspiration going through. And then um, I like to use the sort of like, um, this kind of like, why not option where it's like, if I sit in front of my computer, and just sit there why not open it why not just fire okay. up Photoshop and like try some stuff out here and then like three why nots in like I'm you know in the middle of the project and then I'm going um I don't find it difficult to keep going with work yeah I find it very difficult to get started however to so get like started. Me, okay. it's all about tricking myself into starting um if your issue is keeping going I would say that just like any endurance runner just like get up and come back down and then get up and come back down but just okay. remember to come back to come back yeah that's the hard part it's easy to take the break it's it's okay. harder to come back from it because this is how i pay my rents i don't really have the luxury of having a block when i'm working with a corporate client 
Yeah. Okay. So like they, you know, they've got a deadline. It's for example, the, uh, one of the last videos that I worked on was for the 75th anniversary of the world bank. And that 75th anniversary was going to happen on the 24th of June, whether or not I had like an art block or not. Okay. Yeah. We need uh, it. And it's also the world bank. Like you can't really go to them and be like, I'm not feeling right. Yeah. <laughs> Guys, do you mind? How to do can it. I have a break? I just need it. There's 16 archivists break. waiting to see what I've done. Like. Yeah, geez. So, um, in that case, it's just kind of blunt instrumenting your way through it, you know. But yeah. like, obviously, when I'm doing my own projects, no, there, there's, there's more gentleness. There's more leeway. Okay, perfect. And do you have any? I suppose just in kind of a, a, a wrapping up. And thank you for being so generous, generous with your time. Sorry, do you sorry. have any kind of a? Do you have any kind of aspirations or or projects? like kind of of your own in the works or, or things that you would like to kind of work on separate to, I suppose, your your own the working projects? I have a project. Um, I have a cool project. I think it's a cool project. I'm very excited about it. Uh, sort of been like tooling around with it for about a year now, um, but I've got a character. Um, there is a, um, a Middle English poem called Eartha Upon Eartha. It's beautiful. Um, it's uh, in that weird transitional period between Anglo-Saxon and modern English, so it's not recognizable as English when you're pronouncing it, but I find it quite beautiful, that language. And it's um, a memento mori poem. It's one of the first um, that, you know, basically it goes through three stanzas, remembering that you're going to die. So like, you know, vanity doesn't really matter. Okay. Um, the way that it's worded is really quite fantastic. And I've had this like concept in my mind where like um, I could use an anthropomorphic personification of death, like as a little girl potentially, sort of like skipping. So there's a, a musical version of this poem that has like a very sort of like up and down, very regular beat that feels a beat little bit it. like a skipping game. Oh, wow. um, where I could have this kind of, you know, this little girl sort of like skipping through this world, like leading you through while like, you know, towns come up and then come back down and like people come up and then go back down sort of this like you know this very linear like panning motion across this like very rich world of like you know things springing into being and like having these brief moments of glory and then sort of collapsing back down on wheels wow um, and uh that's that's what i'm that's what i'm in the process of making so i i started thinking about this one um a while ago actually a little bit before the pandemic and then the pandemic happened it felt kind of dark yeah it's <laughs> it's like, like, yeah there's, like, a, there's enough darkness out there at the moment. yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe i'll wait till things are happier again so i'm yeah, like absolutely. sitting on that one a little bit like yeah, I, yeah. I don't too on the nose to like T you know, timing is everything yeah you're like, hey now, right now yeah. how about some death like, no, no, no. We, we've had enough of that but yeah okay so so that's uh that's the idea but like yeah just sort of you know bringing everything together i think that you know i'd use sort of a really lush like you know painterly style and i, I have this idea of like the um the sky being like you know the, those beautiful like uh painted church ceilings with like the little gold stars that you find all over nice. the place yeah oh wow Luminous churches have that kind of be like sort of this like painted firmaments over top of these people coming and going so wow god it sounds incredible yeah i'll definitely be uh be keeping an eye out for that i mean holy god <laughs> yeah if i ever actually make it through that project oh, i love that you have now. such a such a visual uh, and strong sense of what it is like a lot of the time when i ask that question it's kind of like yeah i'm thinking of doing something with a dog don't know yeah <laughs> and you're like okay cool like, no, 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 no. I listen. I only listen to music that takes like you know five years of Talmudic study in order to understand the lyrics. It's okay. Very much how I approach my projects too. <laughs> that, that gives you some idea. Okay, brilliant. Yeah. 
Brilliant. Well, look, thank you uh, uh, um, so much for, for taking the time today. Normally, I just kind of end with asking people, is there is there a place that you know people can get in touch with you? If, uh, like me, I, I stumbled upon your work and just had so many questions as, as an artist, but uh, where where can people get in touch with you? Um, well, so there's uh, there's an ask formula like on my my website, which is just my name. It's www.orleybeatley.com, which is easy. Um, if you go to the like about page, I think there's a contact form, which like it's it's fairly easy to find, um, and that'll come to my email. And then otherwise, I'm on Instagram at Keradir, which is a weird spelling, but like potentially you can just link to it in the podcast. Yeah, I'll I'll leave links to all of them. That's how uh, I found you anyway. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, so that, that's a that's a good platform for messaging because like it, it shows up on my on my like resting like phone screen, so I know people are. Yes, talking. yeah, doesn't get buried in there. Where you're no. like, oh, I never saw that <laughs> message six months later. Hey, do you still have that question? Okay, brilliant uh no that that's perfect so the kind of website and instagram like you said i'll leave links to all them in the uh, in the kind of show notes below and stuff but just again thank you so much for taking the time it was a it was a pleasure talking to you <laughs> absolutely this like went on for almost two hours i'm really sorry <laughs> no hey no not at all not at all it's my pleasure <laughs> so that is it for this episode of cartoon cosmonauts i'd like to say a huge thank you to my guest orly beatley for coming on to the show and talking about the series the secret world of animal sleep be sure to check out her website, orallybeatley.com, and you can also find her on Instagram, both of which I will leave links to below. If you'd like to get in touch with me, perhaps with some questions, feedback, or even to discuss your own short on the show, then you can find me online at Speak Broccoli on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. Just look for the green broccoli logo. You can also email speakbroccoli at gmail.com. Thank you for taking the time to join me here today. I've been your host, Joseph Orr, and you've been listening to the cosmic sounds of Cartoon Cosmonauts. <laughs>